2 Corinthians chapter 8. Last week we um, began to look in a vein of generosity, a generous church. Amen. We, we ought to be givers. You know, by nature, you're a giver. You, you have to fight the compulsion. I know maybe might not be in there yet, but in your spiritual nature uh, is within you the ability, the capacity, and the desire to be a giver. Not just to hoard it up and, and, and keep it to yourselves, but we are made in the nature, in the likeness of God. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we are made in his image and in his likeness. And that means that we are made to function the way God uh, functions, the way God operates. And God is a giver. Amen. Aren't you thankful that he gave? And he didn't just give us leftovers, right? He didn't just give us, uh, you know, the, the stuff that's, you know, at the end that nobody really wants. He gave us the most valuable thing he had. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, it, it's easy to give away something when you got another one. Go ask my son. He, he's, not, he's not the best at sharing, but, man, he can let you have something he's got two of. I got two Buzz Lightyear, so here, you can play with this one. Usually he keeps the bigger one. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a little more difficult when you only got one of it and you value it, and that's the one you want to keep. And God gave us not something that he had a whole bunch of, that he just had a stockpile of. He gave us his only son, the most valuable thing that he had, and he laid it down for you and I. And so you and I, by nature, are givers. And the church, I believe, ought to be uh, uh, seen as a generous church, not a church that just wants to keep everything to themselves, not a church that's just known for having... Uh, you know, massive bank accounts and massive buildings and lots of property and lands. And, you know, we got this plane and we have these vehicles and these buses. I believe that God utilizes those things. But the, the church ought to be known more for its generosity than what it has and what it owns and what it keeps. And so we're beginning to look at this vein uh, because it, it's important for us as individuals to be generous, but it's important for the church in general to be Generous. And so we see this account here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is writing uh, to the Corinthian church. And um, he, he does a little thing that, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we like to do to pump ourselves up, and that's a comparison. Sometimes comparison isn't good. But in this, uh, in, in this rate, he's comparing them with the Macedonians because he knows that if I pin the, the Corinthian church and the Macedonians against each other, there's going to be a rivalry here. They're, they're going to see what they've been doing. They're going to say, man, we, if that's what they did, We've got to step it up. We've got to step up our game. And so here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, it says this, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Notice first off that he identifies that they didn't do, because of, they didn't do what they did because of who they are or what they have. They did it by the grace of God. You're only going to be generous by the grace of God. It's only because of what God has given you, what God has made available to you, and what God is doing through you. It's never for your credit. And so he says it's by the grace of God that the churches in Macedonia did this, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. A, a lot of that verse just seems to, to be contrary to itself. To itself. It, it doesn't seem to really make a whole lot of sense. In the midst of great trial of affliction, they had abundance of joy. <laughs> Come on now. What does James tell us? That when you fall into various trials, we usually are real joyful when we get out of various trials. And he says when you get into them, count it all joy. He says in the midst of great trial of affliction, 
They had an abundance of joy, deep poverty. They abounded in riches of liberality. Do you know that you could be uh, liberal with your riches even in the midst of deep poverty? It's all about perspective. It's all about what you look at. Let's keep on looking at this here. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, that's called sacrifice. Sometimes it's not a sacrifice when you've got some left over, right? But it's a sacrifice when, man, this is all I got, and I'm laying it down. I'm laying it down. I'm giving it up. I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. I said this last week. Now, I haven't been a pastor real long, but not one time has anyone urgently uh, requested that I receive their offering. And we have a church of great givers. We said this last week that this is one of those subjects that I've got to be careful with uh, as a pastor uh, because I liken it to the child in the classroom that's like the perfect kid and, uh, you know, never makes any noise, never is an annoyance. And if you're not careful as a teacher, you can disregard them for the ones that are making all the noise. And this is a subject that I have to be careful with because our church is a giving church. Our church has broken the statistics and broken the status quo. I know that we're young and in a beginning stage, but we have set a precedent in this church to be generous with our giving. And this church uh, is a church of tithers, and, 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 and many of you give beyond that uh, consistently, and I thank God for that. But at the same time, this isn't a subject that I can just lay on the side and say, well, we got that covered, so we don't need to hear it. But this is a, a, a note just to continue to move us and stretch us and enlarge us in our giving because we could always get to a level of complacency in giving. Financially, we can always become complacent. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if things are tight or if things are liberal. I don't know if you're, uh, you know, making it paycheck to paycheck or you say, you know what, God's blessed us and we've got a little extra and, and, and we're doing really well. God's doing great things. I don't know where you're at, but in either season, they each have their own uh, risks at hand. It, it never, it, it, this is never about what's in the bank account. This is never what the pocketbook says. This is never about how, how good you feel with your financial situation. It's always about the heart. Always about the heart. But what he's identifying here is if you can't give when you don't have it, you won't give when you do have it. He's saying this church at Macedonia, man, they were freely liberal. They were freely giving even when they didn't have it. They were still finding a way to give according to their ability and even beyond their ability. Even beyond their ability. And so let's keep going here. He says they were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. To the Lord. You have to first give yourself to the Lord. I can tell you right now, if you give yourself to God and allow him to have control, we said this last week, there are three types of people when it comes to money. There are those who have no control. There are those who have self-control. And then there are those who give God control. There are those that, you know, as soon as they have the dollar, it burns a hole in their pocket, man. They got to spend it even quicker than they get it. And then there are those that, you know what, we do great. We, we're, we're great stewards. Uh, when we get it, we wait and seek the Lord. But then there are those that uh, uh, um, when they get it, they know that God owns it. And they give God control over all of it. And that's the kind of people we need to be. We need to be people with our money that we give God control, not want to keep control. And this is... 
probably the hardest subject of any of them to relinquish control to God over because, you know, you work hard for that paycheck, don't you? How many of you worked this past week? How many of you put in at least 40 hours this week? Yeah, I work hard for that money. What do you mean, God, that's yours? What do you mean? And then, you know, we feel like, you know, we're obligated to give the 10% when, uh, you know, that, God, okay, God, I'll give you yours. I'll give you yours. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, his is 100%. He lets you keep the 90%. Just going to let you know that. He could ask for all of it if he wants, and he's already marked off 10%, the first 10%. We said this last week. You know, that always kind of bothered me. What's the first? How do you know it's the first? The first is always in your heart. Do you sit down and tally up the bills and say, okay, good, we're able to give tithe today? Or do you say, tithe comes out, and then we pay everything else, and if I come up short somewhere else, God's going to meet that need. That's the first. It's always in the heart. I don't know if what you're putting in the offering today is the first or the last. I don't know if it's the leftovers. I don't know if it's just a little bit that you had at the end. But God knows, and that's all that matters. And that's not a a, a condemning thing, but he knows the heart, and he will always know the heart. And people always say that, well, God knows my heart. He sure does. That ought to scare you a little bit. That ought to move. He does know my heart. You're right. He knows my heart. Uh, Let's keep on going here. Verse 5, not only as we hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. By the will of God. We said this last week, you don't give to the church. You give through the church. The church is the vehicle. the the, the, The church is the avenue that God receives his blessing. So you're not given to me. You're not given to Anchor Faith Church. We said this last week also. Uh, you know, it, you don't have to put anything in today, but the only reason why we're here today is because we have consistent faithful givers in this church. It's the only reason why we could turn that key today. It's the only reason why the lights are on, the air's on. It's the only reason why we have access to do what we're doing. It's the only reason why we're reaching the city and doing what we're doing at the level that we are is because people are faithfully giving and serving this church with their finances. Let's keep going here. Verse 7. But as you abound in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace, this grace also. Verse 8. I speak not by commandment, I'm not telling this because you have to, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He, he, he's saying that I want you to see what they're doing. And I want you to give, not what they gave, but how they gave. See, uh, again, I use this example. We got Travis. He's actually in the house this week, so I can actually use the example. He's much bigger than I am. He's much stronger than, than I am. But him and I, we both work out. We're both in the gym. So you couldn't, you couldn't test my strength by putting me against what he lifts. But you can test my strength by putting me against what his max is and what my max is. You see what I'm saying? The circle might, might be this big for me and this big for him, but the percentage ought to be the same. And he's saying, I'm not testing you by what you give. I'm not saying you have to give as much as they give. I want you to give the way they gave. They gave even when they didn't have it. They gave beyond their ability. They were sacrificial in their giving. And they were uh, tested in their love because you never love something you wouldn't invest in. You never love something you wouldn't give to. You never love something that you wouldn't give of yourself, even sacrificially. When you were dating, 
you were on the phone to the wee hours of the morning to the time that you were snoring your face off and it didn't matter. You do that today? Probably not. Probably not. Would you do that with just anybody? Probably not. But what you're investing in something you love. You're giving of yourself, even sacrificially. I'll stay up. I'm tired. I've got to go to work. But five more minutes. Five more minutes. I'll give you five more minutes. Right? You even give beyond your ability because you're in love. When you truly love the church, it is obvious by what you give. It's obvious by what you give. He says, uh, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, he's not speaking so much to financial status as he is to his uh, eternal status. He says he was rich eternally. And what Jesus gave up in heaven to become what he became in the earth is our example of our generosity. What are we willing to let go of? It's not about the amount. It's not about the amount. You, you, you could give a thousand, another could give ten, but if ten's all they had and you had uh, uh, ten thousand, it, it, it's, not, it's not equated the same. It's not equated the same. It's about what we're giving up. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing. Uh, Don't just have good intentions. Finish it is what he's saying. You said you were going to do this. You said that you were intending to make this happen. A year ago, you desired to do this. Now let's complete it. Let's make it happen. Let's finish it. He's urging them here. But now you must also complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, So there also may be a completion out of what you have. So if you desire to do it, then do it, is what he's saying. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Sometimes it feels that way. God, you're taking for me to give to somebody else. God, you want them blessed, but you're taking away my blessing. But look, he's saying right here, that's not what I'm encouraging you to do. But by inequality, that now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack. That there may be equality. I'll tell you right now that God's looking for a generous church. He's looking for a church of givers. Not, his church should not be identified by stingy. His church should not be identified as hoarders. That we're just stockpiling away. We need to be meeting needs. And financially is what Paul is referring to. The title I message today is pay it forward. Pay it forward. Have you all heard that phrase recently? Uh, the last two times that I have been through the Chick-fil-A here in St. Augustine, this has happened to me. Been in the drive-thru, and I pull up to the window, and I get there, and they say, the person in front of you paid for your meal. Okay, and, and I had no idea what that was the first time, and so I just drove off. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize it was this whole pay it forward thing, but now I know that happens to me. I want to get the per- – apparently you just keep backing up. You just keep paying for the next person's meal is what was happening. Well, then it happened to me uh, another time just this past week. I was in the drive-thru, and I get to the drive-thru, and they say, hey, the person in front of you took care of your meal. 
I'm like, what? And there's nobody behind me now. So I'm like, I'll just receive the blessing, I guess. You know, I mean, you know, what am I going to do? Drop off a tent, say, here, take care of the rest. You know, what, you know, what are you going to do in that instance? But it, it, it's this initiative that's been going around. Just call, just being generous. Just helping people out. Has anybody had that happen to you? Has anyone just been generous and just blessed you and just been like, wow, I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't believing for it. I wasn't looking for it. It's just an, an action of generosity, this, this initiative that's going around. And so the title of my message this morning is Pay It Forward. I, I want to look at this concept of looking out for somebody else even when you are in need. Looking out for someone else even when you're in need. And so I want to look at this story here in Luke chapter 9. Uh, many of you are familiar with it. It's, it's titled The Feeding of the 5,000 by Jesus. Um, and if you read the account in Matthew chapter 14, it actually tells us that it was 5,000 besides men and women. There was a Jewish tradition that they only counted men. They counted families. They didn't count individuals. And so we're really looking at upwards to fifteen to 20,000 people that are in this multitude. Okay? So let's just read this account. And, and, and starting with verse 10, it says, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. He received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, when the day began to wear away, that's a long day in church. I mean, you know, for a lot of us, we hit 12 o'clock and we're looking, you know, we're trying to hit the buffet, you know, trying to hope that the, they keep the heat warmers on for us, you know, keep all that stuff going. Uh, but, you know, here it says when the day began to wear away, this is a long day of church, a long day of ministry. He's been teaching. He's been preaching about the kingdom of God. He's been doing some healings and some miracles. He's been doing ministry. And it says when the day began to wear away, the 12 came, not everybody, but his leadership team. <laughs> Sometimes the leadership team is the one that get wore out the fastest. The body wants more to keep coming, keep coming. And the leadership team's thinking, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, and so uh, the 12 came to him and said, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we are in a deserted place here. I mean, I could just picture, I could just picture his disciples, maybe Peter or John coming, uh, you know, and, and, and just kind of getting together and saying, look, this thing's starting to drag on a little bit. We've seen all these miracles. We've heard all this teaching. We've heard all these things before. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get pretty hungry. And I could just see Peter, you know, getting, uh, you know, real dramatic about it because that's what he does. And I could see him thinking, I'm about to die out here. I'm going to die if I don't get some food. If I don't get a cheeseburger in the next five minutes, I'm wasting away. He's healing all these people. He's going to have to raise me from the dead here in a minute. Uh, and so they decide, you know what, let's tell, let's, let's, let's tell Jesus that the people are hungry. Because, you know, we don't want to look weak. You know, as leaders, you want to be the ones that standing right beside Jesus saying, dude, we, we can take it. Let's keep going. But, you know, the 12 come and they blame it on the multitude. They blame it on the people. Send the multitude away because they're hungry that they may go into the surrounding towns and country lodge and get provisions uh, for we are in a deserted place. But look at Jesus' response, verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more 
than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Again, we're looking at upwards to fifteen to 20,000 people. They say we have no more than five loaves and two fish. They, they declare that this is what we have. Somebody had five loaves and two fish. Somebody showed up at this meeting with their own basket, with their own meal, with their own bag of food and said, I've got five loaves and two fish. But obviously that's not going to feed 15,000 plus people. Anybody agree with that? There's no way five loaves and two fish How many times do we look at what we have and there's no way it can meet the need that we see. And so we look at what we don't have versus what we do have. How many times is there a need that's so much greater than what we have and we devalue what we have because of how large the need is? But look what happens here. He said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. He's bringing some order to this thing. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. Now, five loaves and two fish would have been enough to feed one individual. That would have been enough to feed one. And a lot of times, guys, we have enough to feed ourselves. But God's looking bigger than that. God wants to see how can we meet the needs of those around us even when we only have enough for us. See, generosity will always blow your mind. Jesus here, what Jesus is saying is not making any sense. I want you to know this this morning, that giving will not always make sense. Tithing will not always make sense. Giving above and beyond will not always make sense. It won't make sense because you'll be thinking, but I need that for me. I'm trying to take care of myself. And sometimes we can even justify as the Lord has blessed me. But God wants to bless us to be a blessing. Boy, that was a good word. Something's locking up. Still have power in my hand, so I'm going to keep on going. Boy, the more and more that I say that we're going to have a service without stuff, stuff keeps shutting down. We'll figure it out. Amen. Let's keep going. See, God isn't, God wants to get stuff not just to you, but through you. God is more interested in how you can be a blessing to others than blessing you. Oh, Pastor Mark, watch out now. Yeah, because he knows that if he can get it through you, then he'll get it to you. He knows that I can be a blessing to other people if I'll allow it to funnel through me rather than keep it to myself. See, the thing is, is even when you're blessing others, God still can find a way to bless you. Somebody had to give up five loaves and two fish. 
Somebody could have easily said, well, I've got enough to meet my need, but there's a great need out here. And so here's what we have. And so they do what? They bring it to Jesus. They bring it to Jesus. Now, let's keep going here. Let's keep looking at this. He took the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. They all ate and were filled. Twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Number one, guys, you never see what you do have until you quit looking at what you don't have. Say it again. You never see what you do have until you quit looking at what you don't have. We can always uh, look at deficiency rather than sufficiency. And we've got to be people that quit looking at what's in our hands saying, there's no way it can meet this need. There's no way it can help this. There's no way it can do this. And look, we've got good hearts. We want to be a blessing. But God is saying, look at what you do have and quit talking about what you don't have. Until we start looking at what is in our hands, what has been placed in our possession, we'll never have an increase. We'll never have more. So Jesus is trying to divert, and he's trying, you know, they're saying, we've got to send them into villages. And so he says, well, you, you feed them. You feed them. Now, Jesus wouldn't tell them to feed them if there was not the capacity somewhere for the disciples to feed them. If they didn't have that ability, he's not trying to put on them something that there's just impossible. It cannot be done. But the disciples are first going to have to change their mentality of deficiency and start looking at sufficiency. They're going to have to quit looking at what is not there and what I don't have, and they're going to have to start looking at what they do have. What's in your possession today? What do you have available to you today? And I know, again, it can look like this is just enough to take care of me. That five loaves and two fish could have filled the belly of one individual, maybe a couple individuals. But you've got to start seeing it the way God sees it. Generosity doesn't come by accident. Generosity isn't just jump, dumped out on some people that, uh, you know, God wants to bless with money. And then there's other people that don't have any money. And it's just, well, you're just out of luck. Generosity is not just a mindset. It's a way of life. And it's how you see it. Generous people see money differently than people that aren't generous. That's the bottom line. And generosity has nothing to do with having money. I know plenty of people that have money and they're not generous. I I know people that don't have a whole lot, but they're generous. They give what they have. Again, this is not about an amount. This is about your heart. So the first thing we've got to quit doing is we've got to quit looking at what we don't have. We've got to start seeing what we do have. The second thing is, is they brought it to Jesus. They brought it to Jesus. It could have been very easy for that one person to say, well, you know what? Stinks for all these people. They should have brought their own brown bag. They should have brought their own food. They should have brought, you know, somebody was smart enough out here to bring their meal out. Y'all should learn a lesson from me. I know Jesus. I know he can go on for a few days with this stuff, so I got my own bag. Y'all should have known that. No, they brought it to Jesus. I can tell you right now, that what you have will always be better when you get it in the hands of the master. There's no way that even that individual, even if he wanted to meet everybody's need, 
could have said, okay, piece of fish for you, piece of bread for you. Here's a piece piece of fish for you. Did you get a piece of it? There's no way he would have been able to meet the need of 15,000 plus people on his own. But what can we do when we get it in God's hands? Bring it to the master. Bring it to the master. Bring it to the master. Bring it to Jesus. Jesus is saying, what do you have? Jesus never asks, what don't you have? He always asks, what do you have? What do you have? And he's not moved to it. Oh, man, that's all? That's it? Five loaves? You sure there's not six in there? Two fish? No. He just wants to take what you have so he can bless it. You want God's blessing on your stuff. You want God's blessing on your stuff. Man, it becomes difficult when we just keep it to ourselves. I'm telling you, it can be easy. I've been there. When God's just asking for 90%, man, that's all, 90 or, or 10%. You get to keep the 90%. I'm not, I'm not changing Scripture. Not changing Scripture. Boy, you're about ready to run out of here. All he's asking for is the 10%. And I know there are times, there are weeks, this man, dude, I need 110%. I mean, even the 100% isn't going to meet the need. I'm going to tell you right now, it's always better in God's hands. It's always better in God's hands. Just be obedient. Just do what his word says. Just do what he's asking. It's always better in God's hands. Notice that the blessing happened in Jesus' hands. But watch this. The miracle happened in the disciples' hands. See, a lot of times when we pray for Jesus to bless it and we give it, then we forget that now it's back in our court. Once he's done the blessing, now it's up to us to give. Uh, In the account in Matthew, it says, as they went forth, it began to multiply. Notice that Jesus didn't bless it, and then all of a sudden, poof, there's 12 baskets left over, and there's enough to feed everybody. It was as they went, and they'd pull off a piece, and then that, and they pull off a piece, and it just never runs out. It never runs out. You still have to be generous in the midst of the miracle. We give, and then we forget the part that we still have to be a blessing to other people. We give and we, and, and we pray God to bless it and we put it in Jesus' hands and then we forget that well, I still have a part to play. Because th- those disciples could have easily have said, wow, I'll just keep it to myself. The individual could have said, I'll just keep it to myself. But no, it was as they went and as they continued to be a blessing that the miracle happened. Jesus will bless it, but now it's what we do with the blessing. That determines the increase. God knows. God doesn't want to just add to you guys. He wants to multiply. He wants to multiply. God's way of doing math is way different than our way of doing math. God loves to do things above and beyond. Exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. That's how God operates. God isn't a just enough. 
God isn't an almost enough and just be happy with that. God isn't here's exactly what you asked for. God knows how to go above and beyond if we live according to his word and operate according to his word. Put it in God's hands and then continue to be a blessing. It multiplied as they give it away. The last thing I want you to see, God never asks you to give so you have less. He asks you to give so he can get you more. Paul said, I'm not telling you to ease the burden of another for the sake of your burden. But that when you meet the need of someone else, God sees to it to meet your need. God never is asking of you to just take away from you and you just have to learn to live without. No, he's trying to determine, can I get it through them or can I only get it to them? He's trying to determine, will you be a funnel? Will you be an avenue? Will you be a blessing? Because I can tell you right now that whoever gave up the five loaves and the two fish did not walk away hungry. Not everybody else's need was met and then they're sitting back saying, where's mine? You get to operate in the blessing too. You get to be the one that gave up for the sake of others. And then you get to enjoy the blessing as well. That's how God operates. You know, and and I've heard, you know, different stories and different ideas of where the 12 baskets came from and those type of things. You know, maybe each disciple got one. Maybe the person that turned in the five loaves and two fish got to take it all home. Who knows? But all I know is there was way more left over than what they had in the first place. God loves having way more at the end than there is at the beginning. See, many times we we, we get started with something small. And because we devalue the small, we never see the increase at the end. God wants to bring increase. God wants to move in our lives. Give and it shall be given. The kingdom operates different than the world does. When you want to live according to the kingdom and according to the word of God, it will go, it will be contrary to what the world tells you to do. You will have ten people tell you you're doing it wrong and God's saying this is how I want it done. I mean, the disciples had a pretty good plan. It wasn't really that bad of an idea. Hey, man, let's shut this thing down. They're getting hungry. Let's send them off somewhere that we can all get some food. And and then Jesus' response is, you get them something to eat. And then they easily tied it right back to natural thinking. Okay, um, you realize the nearest McDonald's is like an hour away. I mean, we could all get them food. That's not the problem. That's not in question. We have the financial resource to go and buy them food if we need to do that. But that's a long way away. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. No. Tell me what you got. Tell me what you got. If you're going to be generous, we'll have to be people that look at what we have and not what we don't have. If we're going to be a generous people, we're going to have to be willing to place what we have in God's hands. And if we're going to be generous people, we're going to have to expect the increase and know that God isn't asking of me so I have less. But I know that I will be blessed as a result of being a blessing. Those three things out of this story is what will cause you to change your mentality into generosity to meeting the needs of somebody else even when you have the need to meeting the needs of someone else even when I need this myself 
case if we'd come up. That is the church that God's calling us to. That's the church that I believe this church is going to be. That's the church that I believe this church is going to be. And we don't just give when we have it. Guys, that's easy. That's easy. God's blessed us, man, I've got it. But what about in the times where it's scarcity? Where, what about in the times where there's a deficiency? What about the times where, dude, I've got some lack? Can you still find yourself to be generous? When you're needing something. I remember the story of Joseph. We ministered on this a few weeks ago, I believe on a Wednesday night. Imagine Joseph. He has this ability to interpret dreams. And he interprets a dream when he's 17 years old. And everything in his life is going the opposite direction of his dream. He has this dream that he's going to rule one day, that even his own family is going to bow down to him and serve him, that God's going to propel him to this place. And the first place he ends up is in a pit. The next place he ends up is in a palace. How easy would it be to give up on the promise of God, but yet... When he ends up in that prison, he still finds the ability to interpret someone else's dream even when he's still waiting for his own to come through. It begs the question, can you bless someone else when you are still waiting for the blessing yourself? That's generosity. That's generosity. Paul said, in the midst of great trial of affliction, they had an abundance of joy. In the midst of deep poverty, they were liberal with their riches. What was the riches? Maybe not the riches that the world would say, but riches in the fact that it was valuable to them and they were still able to give it up. And God honors that, guys. God never honors a dollar amount. If Jesus can see tithes coming in from Pharisees and Sadducees that had plenty and had money and then look at a widow woman and say she gave more than all of you. God obviously has a different currency system than you and I. He obviously does not operate on the same economic standard that you and I operate. We say 100 is greater than 10 and 1,000 is greater than 100 and 10,000 is greater than 1,000 but God says it's all about the heart. Generosity is in here, not in here. So the generosity has got to shift in our hearts, guys. I've given when I had much, and I've given when I had none. And I can tell you that God has blessed me, blessed my wife, blessed my family, and is continuing to do so. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. You know, I've found that the more that I have, the more he asks me. He's always wanted to increase us. He's always wanted to stretch us. He's always wanted us to move us. We can never become complacent with money because how dangerous it is that even Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Apparently money can rule us if we're not careful. God always wants to know, am I Lord? Do I have control? Are you going to honor me? Am 
Are you going to acknowledge that I'm the one that blessed you? I'm the one that gave to you first. I'm the one that the reason you even have what you have is because of me. That's why it's easy to give. The Bible tells us to give cheerfully. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, not a fearful giver, not a tearful giver, a cheerful giver. Someone that's excited. It's easy to give because the only reason I have it is because you gave it to me. You could ask for all of it if you wanted to. And so it's easy to give. It's easy to give. I'm not saying that there's times that it's like, I could really use that. But it's easy because I know he's the Lord. He's not going to take away from me so I can be in lack. He wants to take away from me so he can increase me and bring more through That's got to be your heart's desire. God, I just want you to get it through me. God, I just want you to get it through me. I want to be used as a vessel so you can get it through me. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the giver of all things, all things that we enjoy, Father. And so we thank you this morning that we honor your word, that we have a spirit of generosity. We have a generous heart to give, to sow, to invest, even when we don't have it, even when it may be scarce, even when it may be difficult. Father, we know that you are Lord. You give all. The only reason we have is because of you. So, Father, we seek your face and seek your heart. We don't give because it's written in the Bible. We don't give because somebody said so. We give out of liberality. We give knowing that you give back to us. Father, you first gave to us. You gave to us the most valuable possession you have. You gave us the most valuable thing you ever had. Invested it, sowed it. Father, knowing that you would get a return. And so we have your heart and we thank you this morning that we can be a church that is generous, be a church that honors you, be a church that can give above and beyond, a church that seeks to meet the need of another at the expense of ours because we know that you already know the needs that we have before we even ask. Tomorrow has its own words. So, Father, we honor you today. We thank you this morning for this in Jesus' name. Amen.